Welcome to How I Wrote This, a show about writers, their books, and the story behind their stories. I'm your host, Pamela Hensley, and in season two, I travel to Berlin. Learn what it's like growing up in a divided city, fleeing the country, living here as a Jewish expat. Join me as I speak to winners and contenders of the German Book Prize, the Thomas Mann Prize, the Dublin Literary Award, and the International Booker. Season two of How I Wrote This begins on April 23rd. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And so one time Norval said, you know what? I want to go out and tell the judge I did not paint this painting and look the judge in the eye. We advised against it. But he was adamant. So he went out, he got sick, he went to the hospital, he got pneumonia, and he died. That's how our greatest artist died, is defending himself against a fraud case. Hello again, it's Ryan. Thanks for coming back for part two in our conversation with Corey Dingle. In this bonus episode, Corey will be talking about Norville Morso's relationship with the media and then the rash of forgeries that plagued Morisot's legacy in the recent decades. I hope you enjoyed this extended conversation. And please, if you enjoyed the series, don't forget to rate and review. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We, we, we always talk about this overarching narrative that we're on with Morris so and and we're 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 still going on it we're we're still Canada is still learning from Morris so it it always warms my heart when somebody comes out of the blue and they say and they're 80 years old and I met Norval you know in 1960 and he had no money or food and I brought him into my little restaurant and I would I would feed him and I didn't want anything from it but he came back and gave me a painting and maybe that you know his bar bill was 12 bucks or no his food bill was 12 bucks or or whatever it is there's so many of those stories thousands of them and and I and I always thank those people profusely because if they did not do that at that moment from their heart for him then we wouldn't be here today, um, you know, talking about Morriso. So again, there's been a, a thousand hands in, in this process that maybe didn't know uh, what they were involved in, but the 
the great spirit, you know, needed them at that time. So um, Norval never saw himself as a victim. Morisot finally understood in the late early 80s that he had to start controlling the narrative. And so he really started focusing on the spirituality of the piece and the, the shamanism that, that he was emerging into and not try to give them, you know, the, the, the fodder, you know, for them to go away. And they, they still managed to do that. And, and even today, while we're trying to deal with just the largest art fraud case in human history, when I'm, when I'm speaking with reporters, you know, and, and I, then I check the story later and I'm like, why did we do two paragraphs of him drinking on the street and not about what his art actually meant or what we're trying to do to help save Canada from being basically a laughingstock in the international world because of our arcane copyright rules that allow <laughs> other countries to dump thousands of fakes into our market and rip off rip off Canadians no 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 we're going to talk about you know how he was lived on the street in Vancouver and sold paintings for for a bottle still it, it still goes on you know so definitely you know when we got into the 90s we restricted all media and we did not really grant we granted no interviews we had one interview uh you know when we had a show opening and and again norval you know controlled the the narrative and i have some very rare footage of that because the gentleman's norval went off for about 25 minutes uh on something and then all of a sudden the cameraman realized that the tape had malfunctioned <laughs> and i was still filming and then the gentleman's you know says you know very sheepishly because you could tell norval was getting agitated by the questions and the gentleman said oh i'm i'm sorry you know the tape failed and so the reporter said uh you know uh, you know more so sorry the, the the tape failed can i ask you that question again and said Nerval said, no, don't don't ask me that question again. Obviously, you're not supposed to know the answer or something. And so we have that footage. And so negatively and positively, he was kind of done done with that. Because, again, even today, as I mentioned, today we still struggle with narrative control. Because we were isolationist in that moment, the academia world knows really nothing about that last chapter. Which, which we're having to work to change. We were on the West Coast. We were in a small town called White Rock. Um, and we were producing a ton of work that the world has never seen. And the estate has a very large collection of Morisot's work uh, that has, has never been shown to the public for the reasons because of the fakes going on and and so on and so forth. We've we've kept that private. Um, but when Morisot got off the street, finally, he basically had a pair of pants on him and his member of Order of Canada medal in his pocket. And through, you know, the Vadis family and myself, we were able to help stabilize Morisot uh, in, in a, you know, in a proper house. And Norval became a prolific collector of his own art, but other people's art as well. And so the estate has a really a, a Canadian treasure trove of historical art of Canada's greatest artist at his zenith 
that the world has never seen. He wanted you to experience his art within yourself. And so it becomes a one-to-one thing. He wasn't thinking about what the next painting beside it's going to, how it's going to react to it. But whenever you put a Morisot painting in a gallery amongst other art pieces, it's like the laser beam shooting at you. Um, and it, and like you said, it doesn't play well with others. Now, what does that relate to the Indian group of seven? It's because at that point, he felt disrespected. You had the Canadian group of seven, which was celebrated and the government was, uh, you know, this and, you know, oh my God, look how fabulous these people are to, you know, these white people to go up into this bush and paint that tree. Well, I live in the bush. That's not fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is, right? Um, so he didn't have a problem with the name because it was meant more as like a poke at society, right? Well, here's the group of seven. Well, we're the Indian group of seven. You're going to have to deal with that. We're just as good as they are, right? And and he was showing the ridiculousness of the term as well, right? It, it, to him, it wasn't, you know, he he knew that even the term Indian was a, a you know the wrong name. They're not they're not from India. He he knew all that. It was to him it was more of a I don't know I, I, I not a jest. I don't know what the proper term would be, but he was using it as a as an educational tool for Canadians um, to to again to prove that why are we doing this. You know, uh, we're just, you're ignoring us. We're just as good, as great as these people are. Um, and, you know, we're not being promoted. And so we're going to steal a little bit of their thunder and make people talk about it and understand what they're, what they're, you know, what they're doing. Let's, let's just start with the art fraud. Okay. So <clears throat> we were, I would take us back to 1998 and I rolled Norville. We would like to go downtown Vancouver. And we would go downtown Vancouver. We would get a whole bunch of money out. Uh, we would go and get like 20 or 30 hamburgers. And we would go down into East Vancouver where all the homeless people were. And we would hand out money and hamburgers. And it was amazing how many of those people would come up to Norville and take his hands and they would hold hands and and oh i was you know wondering what happened to you and i'm so happy that you're okay and and from me from a a uh you know a white community that you know shunned homeless people to see to be brought into that inner world was was a an eye-opening experience but after we did that uh, Norval would sometimes like to go and go, you know, window shopping. And so at this one time, I I had him in a wheelchair and we were going around Gastown, Vancouver, and we went into a a, a gallery and and uh, we were looking at a, a a painting reportedly from him. And the the the, the lovely person came up and said, "Oh, um, you know." 
you know, can I help you? Or, you know, and Norval says, oh, I wonder who painted that painting. And she's like, oh, it's a Norval Morisot. She's like, he's like, oh, okay. And so we had a little giggle about it. And uh, we we left and I got him back in the van and I said, okay, Norval, you know, what, what do you want to do about this? You know, and he says, oh, he says, you, you, you can't, you can't track down everybody in the world, guy. You, you, you know, you, you can't, you know, it, it's, it's too much. And it, it's not that it's hopeless, but he, he, he wasn't put off by it. It probably wasn't the first one that he's seen. But in our studies now of the fakes, it was, it was, you know, before we would have someone would, you know, maybe one or two fake Morisos here and there. And, so anyways, that was the perception that we kind of had on this one. It's just a, a random fake one. And then we found four more. <clears throat> and then we found 40 more. And then we found 200 more. And we notified the police, the RCMP. We wrote affidavits, normal signed affidavits. We scoured, you know, the basic internet at that time we're in probably 1999 now 2000 scouring the internet writing affidavits collecting information we created the norval moroso heritage society which is you know housed the leading academics and certainly and also in indigenous art uh you know uh, at that high high level uh to help us assist in determining what was real and what was fake and uh, to create a catalog. We felt at that time because the individuals who suspectively were making these fakes were very good at the lingo of casting doubt. Uh, And so we felt that we needed a third party entity to help us facilitate the authentication So it took it out of our hands so we weren't seeing biased in the situation. Our sole goal here with what's happening now is to better Canada. We need to take this event that I'm going to describe right now, and we need to use it as an impetus to better all of Canada. The suspected fakes were so poorly done at at such a ridiculous level that we're so lucky (laughs) because they are not hard to to point out. And it allows us to be at, at a level of absurdity to show what is truly wrong with the Canadian system. It's not Canada's fault that it's a young country. It's not. And if I reflect onto other other institutions around the world, let's say France, Germany, EU, they have had thousands and thousands of years of dealing with high, fine art. They've had these issues. They've legislated these issues. They've, they've come up, oh, we need to do something about this. They did something about it. And so they are so much further ahead of us in understanding of what to do in these situations than Canada is. Now, 
we discovered the art that the fakes we made the nmhs hysterical society we wrote the affidavits we talked to the police we gave evidence what more could we do at that time we were proactive sadly we got completely ignored by the police they started a case and then they just kind of dropped it and it was looked at that oh it was just a bunch of white people getting you know a bunch of rich people getting ripped off for a painting you know not really whatever then we found more paintings and then we complained again and then we found more paintings we complained again we we made the police initiate three investigations which they just kind of fizzled and dropped we got to the point where we had a database of close to probably suspected four to six thousand fake paintings we knew who was we thought was suspecting the fakes we had all the evidence great individuals like jonathan summers and and kevin hearn but a whole host of people working behind the scenes were assisting because the authorities were doing nothing at the time. Let's go back to, to 98. Norb's in a wheelchair. He's getting Parkinson's disease, is, is onsetting rapidly. His expenses are going up rapidly, right? We need help. We need care. We need medical. We lived not high on the hog at all. But we lived fine. We had minimal needs. We had minimal desires. Um, we wanted to produce art. If we wanted to sell a painting, we sold a painting. We got money. Everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, 2,000 fakes, where we're, we're before we were getting a good command price on the market, certainly not like a European person was getting. We were getting... In, good indigenous pricing, I guess. Um, and then all of a sudden, you could go and buy a Morriso for pennies on the dollar. And they're everywhere, everywhere. So our market completely crashed. Our dollar per square inch completely crashed. We couldn't sell a painting at the price that we wanted. Um, the market was just completely flooded. And so here's Morriso's expenses going up for his elderly care. And all of a sudden, we couldn't make a dime. And all of a sudden, we were poor, like poor, poor. And so the effect on Morriso was absolutely great. And again, massive kudos to the Vadis family for persevering and, and dedicating themselves to Norval's care at the end of his life. Morriso, in 2007, we would come out and we would say, Norb doesn't recognize that painting. He didn't paint that painting. Here's the affidavit in front of a lawyer. There you go, right? We would then get sued by multiple entities because you've just defamed my asset. I have a Morriso painting. It's worth this much. And you just said it's not real. Yeah, the artist said he didn't paint it. On one lawsuit, after the police basically ignoring us for now, eight and a half years we got sued and we would always get sued in ontario and we lived in vancouver so we would have to fly out to ontario go to small claims court 
you know, lose. And so one time Norval said, you know what? I want to go out and tell the judge, I did not paint this painting and look the judge in the eye. We advised against it, but he was adamant. So he went out, he got sick, he went to the hospital, he got pneumonia, and he died. So that's how our greatest artist died, is defending himself against uh, a, 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 a fraud case. Like the Kevin Hearns case, we would take the painting, we would, Kevin sued, you know, the gallery, that this is a fake painting. We had the estate saying it's a fake painting, the Heritage Society saying it's a fake painting, all the great academic people in the art world, it's a fake painting. We had the guy saying, yep, I was in the fraud ring. We were making tons of fake paintings. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, the judge says at the end, did anybody see anybody paint this fake painting? Did anybody see anybody paint this painting? No. Well, very sadly, if someone's going to fake a fake painting, they probably don't usually go to the middle of the mall or the beach and, and paint the painting. They probably do it in private. But anyways, no, nobody saw him paint the painting. Okay, therefore, it's 50-50, and 50-50 goes to the defendant. Therefore, it's a real Morriso. And so we lost the case. And so we always have this little drawing and it's a little stick figure and the guy's on a boat and he's got a hat and, you know, and we've labeled it Peter and the Fishes. And it's, and it's by Da Vinci. Oddly enough, it's on brand new full scat paper that you get out of your printer, but nobody has seen us paint that, that, that drawing. And therefore it, it must be an original Da Vinci. It's, it's gotta be, but yet nobody will buy it for me for a dollar. Um, but somehow, that painting was an original Morriso. So that case got appealed and Kevin eventually won, but it didn't we didn't win because of the painting is is fake. We won because he won because the provenance was was made up. Now Canada doesn't have any resources that they wish to lend to the art world to help us determine scientifically if a painting is fake or not um we can say all the things that we want to say but if nobody has saw the painting get get forged then it doesn't matter who says what the painting's real and if we say it's fake we're, we get sued so how do we clean up the market so the the police they made their arrests they seized a thousand paintings they think there's 5,000 more of them. <clears throat> Who do we contact? So you can, you can see the absurdity of the situation that we're, we're dealing with, with trying to clean up. We're happy this is happening with Morris. So if any artists, it, it happens because hopefully we can create change. What, what is important about the last period of his life? that we haven't fully explained to everybody and, and shared with everybody as we met, uh, it is his zenith of his, his career.
it is the accumulation of, of everything that he worked up to that point. And he would say repeatedly, my, my time is now, but my art is for the future. And we are entering, we are in that time where his art is for now. And those last period of his time, the zenith, he boiled down all the spirituality, all the cultures that he could study. He took his Christianity. He took the shamanism. He took the indigenous. He took the Zekankar. He studied the Buddhism, all those points. We have a massive book collection of, of spiritual uh, books from around the world that he studied. And he would boil them all down and look for the common connect issue of humanity. And those are the lessons that we need to learn now. That we need to look at everybody as energetic beings only. And I only judge you about what your soul is doing. We need to learn that we are all independent on everything from the blade of grass to the president of the United States, we are all connected. We want to get the narrative into understanding what what is behind the art right now, and and give access, you know, to those lessons. Among Equals is a special presentation of Knockabout Media and has been made possible by the Government of Canada. It's hosted by me, Soleil Lounière, and produced by Ryan Barnett, Maya Foster-Sanchez, and Naka Bertrand. Our series advisors are Joseph M. Sanchez and Donna Fledichuk. This series features interviews with Bonnie Devine, Greg A. Hill, Michelle Lavallee, Carmen Robertson, Pauline Beardy, Philip Gavick, Corey Dingle, Donna Fledichuk, and Joseph M. Sanchez. Special thanks to Eric Berendt at the Indigenous Arts Center. Our series artwork is by Caleb Ellison Dysart, with additional work by Carlene Harvey. For a list of sources used in this series and to download the listening guide, visit knockaboutmedia.com. Hold on. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.